0: Hi there and welcome. The First Christian Church podcast ministry features the teaching and preaching of the First Christian Church in downtown Roseburg, Oregon. Here's today's message. We're in a series called Second Nature, and Second Nature just is a way of describing a series on developing strong spiritual habits. So there's a couple of different ways that you can follow along. You can follow along, of course, with the outline that's in your notes. The best part of taking notes is you'll know when we're almost done because we'll be at the end of the outline, right? You can also follow in the Bible app. If you go to the Bible app and you just go to the menu and you search for events, Uh, The notes for today should populate there, an option. First Christian Church, you'll be able to see that option. Um, And I hope you have your Bibles with you today or your Bible apps open. We're going to be in Psalm 119, which is the longest psalm in Scripture. It's the longest chapter in Scripture. In fact, if you have your physical copy of your Bible with you, if you were to open it up and go right to the middle, chances are you'd land in Psalms or Proverbs and maybe even Psalms 19. We're going to be looking at a verse, one verse in particular to start, and then we're going to look at several verses throughout the psalm. We'll start here in Psalm 119, verse 105. Let's actually read this one together. Ready? Begin. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. What we have talked about as we have kind of begun this series on, on uh, spiritual habits is that many of us have spiritual faith and many of us would love to have spiritual character in our lives. And we talked about how that habits, strong habits are the bridge between what we believe and how we behave. The habits help us build a sense of order in our life and our beliefs have to be turned into character somehow and the way we firm that up is through strong spiritual habits. So there are times in our life where we'll have very good intentions about our faith and no follow through, right? We are going to clean out the garage and it never gets done, right? So when you think about our own personal spiritual lives is we're going to read our Bible every single day, but something happens and there's no follow through. We are going to, uh, we're going to give generously this year and something happens and there's no follow through. We are going to, uh, we're going to be a bit more forgiving of people and then we're reminded of what they did and it's hard to have follow through there, right? So the way we incorporate these, uh, these strong spiritual habits in our life will impact our character, and it will inform our behavior. So our habits are a bridge between our beliefs and our character. But we talked about how oftentimes we'll have good intentions and no follow-through. And the reason for that sometimes is we don't know how to start, right? We talked about that a few weeks ago, that sometimes with our habits, we don't know where to start. Grab your outline for those of you here in the sanctuary. Grab your outline. Go to the very end of your outline. Don't get excited. We're not done. But there's a section at the end of your outline that simply says next steps, right? So this is where I want you to start. At the conclusion of our message today, I'm going to give you a portion of time to consider these five or six steps. And I want you, according to where you're at with Scripture and your relationship with the Bible, to identify a next step for you to uh, build a habit. So the first one there says to sign up to receive the verse of the day on the Bible app to be delivered on your smartphone or tablet. So the Bible app is the YouVersion Bible app. It's free. Um, A church in Oklahoma developed this app and just decided we're going to make it free for the world. So they get paid no money on it. It's absolutely free. It's designed to help us have uh, Scripture right at our fingertips. And you can sign up to receive a verse of the day. How many of you already do that? You get a verse. Look at your hands. Okay, so you people who just keep your hands up, you cannot sign up to do this this week. Right? Because it's cheating. You've already done that, right? So we'll go to the next one. The next one says this. Memorize Psalm 119, 105. This is an easy one. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. How many of you already, be honest, already know this verse by heart? Great. Take that one off your list. You can't do it. You go to the next one. Uh, Read the corresponding proverb to the corresponding day. So that means that today is uh, September what? So sometime today, you open your Bible to Proverbs 3, and you read through it. So the idea behind these next steps is there are varying degrees of time, commitment, of energy, based on where you're at with this spiritual habit. So think about it. We're going to help you how to get started. Uh, So today we're going to focus on Psalm 119. It's the longest chapter in the Bible. The entire psalm is all about Scripture, and it's going to be our platform for our discussion on the place of Scripture in our lives. To begin with, here's our opening thought. Scripture is to be an authoritative influence. An authoritative influence. So, it's supposed to be authoritative for all times and in every part So, look at verse uh, 1. The first verse of Psalm 19 says this Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. The psalmist uses this word blameless. In other words, you can trust it, it's reliable, Uh, there's no fault in it. You can trust it. Now, what's interesting in Psalm 119, when it references Scripture, it's going to use a word that we see here. What's the word that they use instead of Scripture in this verse? The law. Now, it's going to be used all throughout Psalm 119. There's a couple reasons why. Number one, this is all the Scripture they had when this psalm was written, right? Right? They had the Torah, they had the first five books of the Bible, it was referenced as the law. What's interesting as we think about the law and why we reference law and Scripture interchangeably is in the New Testament, Jesus quotes from the book of Psalms a couple of times. Now, the book of Psalms are a collection of songs. They're prayers, they're different kinds of songs and prayers. But when Jesus references it in the New Testament, he references them the Psalms, these songs and prayers, as the law. He places the Psalms with equal importance, value, and authority as the rest of the law. It's, he says it is written in the law. So when we see law reference, we are, discuss- we are discussing the rest of the Bible, the entirety of of the Bible, Jesus calls the Psalms and the rest of Scripture as law, meaning that it's authoritative. There's no suggestions; it's all binding to us. Um, years ago, and I don't remember how long this movie came out, but it's probably 20 years old now. Which 20 years ago used to mean 19, like 80. It doesn't mean it means like the year 2000. Uh, pirates of the caribbean came out um pirates of the caribbean came out and in the movie they talk about the pirate code and they talk about all the different ways that the pirate code applies to their life and they say well we can't do that we have to follow the code we can't do this we have to follow the code and yet throughout the whole movie they're breaking the code repeatedly And finally, at one portion, Keira Knightley's character says to the other pirate, what about the code? And he looks at her and says, well, we think of them more as suggestions, right? More as guidelines. And if we're honest, at times, this is how we regard Scripture. Thou shalt not kill. I'm all in. Yes, Scripture says it. I believe it. It is bad to take someone's life. Give, and it shall be given unto you. And there's something in our life where we say, well, yeah, but where should we give? How should we give? Should we really give? Does give really mean give, or does it mean think about giving? We cannot allow ourselves to think of Scripture as guidelines or suggestions. In fact, if you don't think of Scripture as authoritative, what will happen is this. You will have a frustrated faith. Because you will be constantly evaluating, well, does Scripture apply here or not? Does it apply here or does it apply here? I don't know. I guess I have to make my own decision. And in doing so, we take the authority out of Scripture and we place it on our shoulders. So in addition for the Scripture being authoritative, Scripture is to be a permanent influence. So it's supposed to be authoritative, but it's also supposed to be permanent. Psalm 119 and verse 52 says this, Lord, have I known from your testimonies, I'm sorry, let me read that again, I misread it. Long have I known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. So the commandments of God in the Bible are statues that last forever. I remember when when I was a kid going to elementary school, I lived uh, in Southern California in Orange County, I lived uh, right there on the corner of McFadden and Stannard, right there in Santa Ana. And I had to walk to school, in elementary school, to um, Roosevelt Elementary School. And I remember as a kid walking to school, I would think it would take hours and hours to get there. And I would think it would take miles and miles to do that. One of the trips that Libby and I went back home, uh, I showed her the old neighborhood, you know, and where we grew up and stuff, and uh, I remember clocking it on the mileage and What I thought was miles and miles was like 0.15 miles to school, right? Because when you're seven, eight years old, it feels like a long time. You know what I was taught as a kid is uh, you don't talk to strangers. You don't get into a car with people you don't know. And then as you get older and the internet started taking over lives, you said, don't give your personal information out on the internet, right? And then all of a sudden... We become adults, and you know what we do all the time? We talk to strangers all the time, online. We give them our personal information, and if you get an Uber or Lyft, if you ever had the opportunity to do so, you get in cars with complete strangers. You just do. Why? Because we're stupid now, that's why. No. (laughs) It's not because we're not smart anymore. It's because Culturally, what has been true can have the potacity and potential to change because of the way a culture changes. And as culture changes, often how we behave and interact with culture can change. And if we're not careful, we will take those changes in culture, and because we've adapted to what is now the norm we will think about scripture in the same place as culture and we will twist and change culture to fix, to change and be with culture. We cannot let our cultural moment sit in judgment over what parts of the Bible are still valid. We cannot let our cultural moment sit in judgment over what parts of the Bible still are valid. We must let the Bible sit in judgment over what parts of our culture is valid and what parts of our culture is not. Psalm 119, 151 says this. You are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are true. Verse 160 in Psalm 119. The sum of your words is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. What is the psalmist saying? It's saying it's authoritative in our life, and it's also permanent. In fact, it's interesting. In the New Testament, Jesus is talking, and in talking in Matthew chapter 5, he delivers what's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's three chapters of what we believe to be a start and finish of one of the sermons Jesus would preach in the beginning of that sermon, beginning in verse 17, he talks about the permanent nature of Scripture. Psalm chapter, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 says this, don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished then a stern warning. Verse 19, therefore whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. What is he saying? He's saying there's these characters in the Hebrew language. It is Iota is one of the smallest letters. A dot was a part of the Hebrew letter. And what he's saying is this. You can't remove a smallest letter. You can't remove part of a letter. You cannot relax one of the standards of the that is contained in the law because every single part of the Bible has weight. It is authoritative, but it is also permanent. Now, what we have just discussed is unpalatable in our modern culture, that a book so old, so antiquated, would have an authority in our life. What most, most people say is that we give authority and a permanent place to scripture that our lives become too confining and too restrictive and it becomes to become a place in our lives where we can't operate freely with freedom and yet the bible i believe christ says is the opposite that until you absolutely accept the bible as authoritative and permanent you don't unleash its power I would go as far as to say this. When we embrace the Bible's authority and permanence in our lives, it will lead to spiritual liberation from worldly influences and relational intimacy with God. Now, there's a lot in there. Let me read it again. When we embrace the Bible's authority and permanence in our lives, what we just talked about, it leads to, first, a spiritual liberation from worldly influences, and secondly, it will lead to relational intimacy with God. We're going to stay in the book of Psalm 119. Look at verse 44. It says this. I will keep your law continually forever and ever, and I shall walk in a what kind of place? A wide place, for I have sought your precepts. Libby and I were in Ohio earlier this summer visiting her folks and her family, and one of the things that um, we did when we were there is we visited the Air Force Museum near Dayton, Ohio. Ohio. Now, over the years, they have talked to me about visiting the Air Force Museum. And I'll be honest, I just had little to no interest in doing so because there's just so many other things to do. And so earlier this year, Libby told me about a couple of the uh, things that you could do when you're at the Air Force Museum. And I said, okay, cool, let's do it when we go this summer. So when we, uh, we went and we got there, and it's completely free. It's amazing. It's hanger after hanger after hanger of... Um, everything to do with the Air Force, with flight, um, and they have um, displays of real planes and models, life-size models of planes. It's pretty incredible. There was one whole hangar, I believe, we didn't even walk through, um, because they were tired. I was fine. I would ready to keep going on, but they were tired, so we stopped. (laughs) Uh, There was one hangar where it was devoted to um, Air Force One, over the years, which is just fascinating. It's awesome. Libby, do you remember the first president to have an Air Force One, who was that? Was that Eisenhower? Or Truman, it was Truman. Anyway, they had the first Air Force One. And you get to go in and walk in it. So we did. And I'm gonna be honest, I was a little nervous. because it's a really old plane. And I don't know if they built the plane for someone like me. So we got on and when you go on, they first uh, have you board uh, this little area before you get onto the plane. There's like a little walkway and there's like a metal frame and it says, it's just, it's just right out there. And it says, you must be able to fit through here in order to walk through the plane. I said, how dare you? Out here in the open, there's not a private room we could evaluate the dimensions necessary. So I got up there and I just walked right, and I was very proud, I was able to walk right through it. But I noticed, like, like it was a tight squeeze, right? So I just, you know, so we walk up to Air Force One and we get up on, and when you walk on to the, Harry Truman, I believe was the first one to have Air Force One, and you walk on that Air Force One, it is a narrow path. And you're just walking and you can barely just, you can move your head and you can look or you can walk sideways. My pride would not allow me to do so. So I just, I just walk straight and you're looking all throughout, but there was no freedom, right? I was afraid of taking a deep breath, Right? We go over to the newer Air Force Ones, and they have replicas of many of them. I think we walked through four or five different Air Force Ones. And over the years, the walkway, the narrow walkway would expand a little more. You know what happens when you have a narrow walkway in your life? There's no freedom. It's really constricting, and you have to watch your step. What does the psalmist say here? I will keep your law. Now, we know that law is another word for what? Scripture, right? Okay, I will keep your scripture Continually, forever and ever. And what is the result? I shall walk in a what? Oh, man. You see what the psalmist is saying here? Is the more you embrace scripture, the more it has a permanent place in your life. The more that you keep it forever and ever. The more that you hide it in your heart. The more that you study it. The more that you embrace it. You know what happens in your life? You just get to walk in this wide place it's not constricting. It's the most freedom-filled place you'll ever be because you're there in the grace of God walking as he intended you. But if you remove scripture from your life, if you allow yourself to doubt the authority or the permanence, what ends up happening is you have to fill in the blanks. You have to define what is good and evil. You have to define what is acceptable and as unacceptable. And you might as well carry a notepad around and keep writing all the areas in which you're going to keep track of the morality and the way you're going to live your life. And that ends up becoming a very constricted place. Because you have to check, oh wait, what do I think about this thing? I I forget what I think about this thing. Let Let me check. Or you embrace scripture and you say, well... I'm right here because this is where God is. I walk in a wide place because I've sought your precepts. Such a beautiful way to look at it. It gives you freedom. Uh, Look at uh, verse 133. It says this. Keep steady my steps according to your promise and let no iniquity get, what's the next word? Over me. That word "dominion" is a powerful word. It means control, power, authority. So, so let's look at this verse again. Keep steady my steps, according to your. By the way, isn't it cool that every single verse in Psalm one nineteen is about Scripture? It talks about it different ways. It'll be the law. It'll be precepts. It'll be promise. But it's all about Scripture. It's fascinating. Uh, one thirty three. Uh, keep steady my steps according to your promise. So he's talking about scripture here. Keep steady my steps according to your scripture and let no iniquity get rule, authority, control, dominion over me. It says very clear that if God's word is not the authority in your life, someone else is ruling over you. If God's word is not your ultimate authority, someone else is your ultimate authority, and the choice is simple. We can choose God or we can choose idolatry, and there's no place for a middle. Either God is the ultimate authority in your life or something or someone else is ruling over you. You see how that gives you liberation? You see how embracing Scripture just frees you from the cultural influence in our lives? We read on Psalm uh, 119, verse 41. Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Then shall I have an answer for him who taunts me, for I trust in your word. Uh, Who's taunting you? What does that look like in your life? What does it look like for you to be taunted? I'll tell you what it looks like. It looks like the enemy of your soul whispering lies to you. You're not good enough. You're not strong enough. You're worthless. You have no value. You have no talent. You're going to church again. Do they not know about you and your past? You're going to try to read your Bible? Man, remember the last time we tried that? It didn't work. You're really going to pray? You think your prayers are going to not bounce off the top of this church building? You, you, you know you have a past. Uh, what about that guilt? What about that shame? What about that thing you did this morning? What about that thing you did last month? What about that thing you did two years ago? He says this, verse 41, according to your promise, verse 42, I shall have an answer for him who taunts me. Wouldn't it be awesome to have an answer to the enemy of our soul when he taunts us? Libya and I um, oftentimes will text each other through the day if we are hearing something from the enemy of our soul that's not true. And we do it for a couple of reasons. First reason, um, when we were in premarital counseling years ago, uh, Kathy and Andy told us this would be a, an effective way for us to uh, defeat the enemy of our soul attacking our marriage. The second reason we do it is because it empowers the other person for us to pray for one another through our day. And so depending on what, who is going through what, I might text Libby and say, man, I've had a really rough couple of hours or, um, and, and I'm feeling tired. I'm feeling vulnerable. I'm feeling uh, aggravated. How many of you ever feel aggravated? Just me. Okay. Um, I had a counseling session and I just, I felt inadequate. I'm feeling tired. And the reason I I say that is so that we can have an answer to the person who's taunting us. And the other, Libby will pray for me in that moment, or I'll do the same for her. Why? Because it's important to call out what the enemy of our soul is saying to us. Because otherwise, when we keep it secret and hidden, and we have it in our hearts and we don't release it or tell anyone, what ends up happening? That thought, however untrue it is, now has dominion over you. Verse 43 says this Take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for my hope is in your rules. You see, when God's word becomes the main ruling authority in your life, when what God says about me, his unfailing, unconditional love, when I embrace that, I no longer need people's approval, I no longer need status. Um, I'm not afraid of what happens. I won't be moved from the shifting moments or days. Why? Because I have an answer to the one who's taunting me, and I have not given them a place to have dominion over me. So submission to word of God is actually liberating and it frees you from spiritual inter- frees you towards in spiritual intimacy with God. And when you exercise your faith and believe that the Bible is authoritative and permanent, it gives you a pathway to greater influence and intimacy with God. What's interesting is this. If you, if you read Psalm 119 this week, first of all, buckle up. It's a long one. But if you were to read the entire Psalm 119, uh, you might start feeling a little uncomfortable about how the psalmist is talking about Scripture, The attitude of the psalmist towards Scripture is almost over the top. And we would be uncomfortable with some of the language and some of the words he uses. Let me illustrate. Verse 24. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. Okay, that's reasonable. Look at verse 48. I will lift up my hands toward your what? What? which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. Well, every other place in Scripture, lifting up our hands is an act of what? Worship? Worship. Is the psalmist worshiping Scripture? Let's read on. Uh, To lift up the hands is an act of worship. Um, And it can feel a little uh, awkward. It can feel a little even appropriate, that he seems to idolize and worship a book. But I think what the psalmist is insinuating or intuating is something far greater. I want to point this out because I think it's an important relationship between It's an important part of our relationship with Scripture, and for those of us, uh, for those of you who are beginning their faith journey, and you're reading Scripture, it can be confusing that we use this kind of imagery when we're talking about Scripture, and we say, "Well, you should worship God and God alone." Well, why is the psalmist raising hands towards statues? That seems a little weird. That doesn't seem to coincide, and we don't want to be inconsistent. But I would, I would position that the psalmist is actually intuiting what you and I at our place in history, already know as a fact. Let's go to John chapter 1. John chapter 1 says this in verse 1. In the beginning was the what? And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, and he came as a witness to bear witness about the light. And all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So he's talking about John and Jesus here, and the difference between their two roles. Verse 9 the true light, speaking about Jesus, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he believed, who believed in his name, he gave them the rights to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the f- or the flesh nor of the will of man, but of God. Verse 14, look at this. And the word became flesh, dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. What the psalmist was doing when he says, man, I lift my my hands up because of these statutes. I I adore these promises in my life. Your law, thy word is a lamp to my feet. It's a light to my path. The reason why it seems like he's talking about a person rather than a scripture is because he is. And the word became flesh. So the more we embrace scripture... It is a bridge to our relationship with Jesus, because the Word became flesh, and the more we embrace Jesus, the more we embrace Him, the more we have to be in Scripture. I talk to people all the time who says, Well, I believe in God and I believe in Jesus, and in the course of our conversations or our counseling moment or their or their current situation, it becomes very evident that we have not put an emphasis on Scripture at all in our lives. And what we fail to realize in that moment is that the power of Scripture allows us to have this personal relationship with Jesus. You think about words. Why do we use words? We use words to express ourselves. We use words to uh, communicate language, to communicate information, to express our joys and our sorrows. That's why we use words. Can you imagine up here if I had a Sunday morning message and I didn't use words? Some of you would enjoy that. Probably too much. The reason we use words is to communicate language. And so if we want to get to know Jesus, well, then we just, we get to know Scripture. In Scripture, the Word became flesh, Scripture allows us a pathway to getting a personal relationship with Jesus. All right, here's the practicality of it. Ready? Last point in your notes. Coming home now. Applying the Scriptures practically in our lives is a matter of consistency and patience. Consistency and patience. Look at how the psalmist describes it. 147 says this, I rise before dawn and cry for help. I hope in your words. 164, seven times a day, I praise you for your righteous rules. You say, Daniel, how often should I read the Bible? we according to this text before dawn and seven times a day. I mean, is this prescriptive? In other words, is this exactly what we should be doing? No, I think it's more Descriptive. I think it's about the discipline and the consistency of getting into Scripture. It means putting a priority on Scripture. It means allowing Scripture to have a place in your life where you're going to be consistent and patient. Remember one of the first messages in the series we talked about that one of the reasons we don't develop strong habits or we start and then we fail is because we don't see results fast enough. And so we quit before we get the payoff, right? So I'm gonna end with two illustrations to help us understand consistency in patients. One of them is really practical and one of them is really disgusting, okay? Let's do the practical one first. When you are ill and you go see a doctor, they may prescribe you medication. And the medication is gonna be pres- uh, presented to you by the pharmacist, and if it's the first time taking the medication, you'll go to the pharmacist, and then what happens? Or you'll go to the tech, and then the tech will um, say, oh, um, the pharmacist needs to go over this with you, right? And what's the, what, was the, what will the pharmacist do? They'll say, is this for you? Great. All right, this looks like, man, I should have had a medicine ready to go. I was going to make something up, but I can't think of it now. This looks like blah, 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 oxen, right? <laughs> and, um, and he'll say, this is what you're gonna to wanna to do. You don't wanna take this on an empty stomach. You wanna get a meal, and you wanna take it with your meal, full glass of water. You wanna do that for three weeks every morning, right? And you'll go home and if you're like me, you'll, you'll put a reminder in your phone or a, a way to remind you so you don't forget because it's out of routine, right? It's not something you normally do. Suppose you go home and you say, that pharmacist, I don't know if he knows what he's talking about. Like this is clearly good stuff. And if one, a morning is really good on a full stomach, then all of it altogether on an empty stomach is probably better. You see how silly that is, right? Why? Because, because the way it helps your body is through the dosing. And you have to be patient. And oftentimes, after the first or second day of a new medicine, you don't wake up and say, okay, I'm done. This is great. 21 days. Did it in two. I'm done. <laughs> what will happen if you stop? What will happen if you stop, Church? You're going to get worse. You're going to get sick again. So, so scripture is about being patient and saying, I'm not going to, uh, well, I have a Bible. And if Daniel thinks I should get one verse a day, then I should read a book a day then. And so tomorrow morning, you go to Genesis 1, and you just start reading, and you just start humming, and you're going to stop about Genesis 4 and you're going to say, What? they did what they married who so they could do what whose kid is this yeah it's gonna freak you out why because you're taking too much at one time this is about dosing this is about being very patient and saying i'm gonna allow scripture to take a place in my life but if you introduce something new into your life it takes time right It takes time for you to get used to it. It takes time for your body to acclimate. And in the same way, the discipline, the spiritual habit of just taking Scripture and opening it, you need to be patient with yourself. Now, it does mean you need to do it every single moment. You need to take care of it. You need to remember the pharmacist and say, okay, I'm going to do a little bit every day. And then what happens to yourself? How many of you have ever taken a medication? They say, all right, cut this tablet in half. Do it for a week, and then after a week, your body will tolerate the dose, and now you can take a little bit more, right? You know what happens with Scripture as you start reading it? Because some of you look at these suggestions, you say, 81 of these is way too much. But I tell you, if you stay patient with it, your appetite will grow for Scripture, and you will be taking larger doses of Scripture in your life. The last recommendation on the next steps is to take a book of the Bible you've never read and to study it. Some of you are going to get to heaven and there's going to be people and prophets waiting for you. And they're going to come up and, and say, man, it's good to see you. And you're going to say, what's your name? And they're going to say Nahum. And you're going to say, Nahu? <laughs> Nahum. I wrote a book. It's... Wait, like you went to... You, there, there's a book in the Bible. Like it has my name on it. There's... I, 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 God preserved it. I was one of the few and the prophet. You, you never... And you're gonna be like, I don't and you're gonna meet a whole lot of people you never knew existed. Right? Now, I don't want you to start with Nahum tomorrow. I need you to figure out what it looks like in your life. But remember, you gotta be patient. Allow this thing to work, allow the thing. That's the practical one. Here's the disgusting one. Um, when I was in junior high, middle school, they call it up here, I guess. Uh, and I don't know how it works up here, so this might be totally antiquated, but we would have PE and it would be a period long, and and we would play sports, and we would have uh, our gym clothes, right? And we'd have a locker, and we would go in, and we'd change, and we'd put our gym clothes on, and, and Monday it would be fine, and Tuesday it'd be fine. But Friday, by Friday, those gym clothes would get pretty gnarly. You can tell how much I sweat on a Sunday morning, and all I'm doing is standing and speaking. You can imagine if I'm playing basketball as a middle schooler or or flag football, or God forbid, track and field during PE. You can imagine how much I sweat. So, the time you get to Friday, what you do on Friday is um, you would take your clothes home. And mom would wash them. And then, you know, Monday you take your clothes and you you'd do PE again. I'm just gonna be honest, it's just really important that you remember to take your clothes home on Friday. And I'm just saying, there's a few times in my middle school, junior high career where I forgot to bring my homes home on Friday, my clothes home, forgot to take them out of the locker, forgot to bring them home. And you know when I would remember that I forgot is on Monday when I would go into my locker and I would open the locker, I can't describe what that moment's like. I can taste it. And you have to, and I had to put those clothes on. Right? Thank you for sympathizing with me. Consistency is really important. I'm trying to land this plane really hard after that. Here's the thing. Most of us, most of us know the priority of Scripture should have in our life. And, and what gets really hard is developing other strong spiritual habits if we can't get worship which we talked about two weeks ago and scripture because what does worship do worship fixes our posture before God and so it says everything I'm do I'm going to do for you the way I raise my family is going to be a reflection of how much you love me the way I uh, work the way I have a career the way I live my life is a reflection of how much you love me. And then scripture is the ongoing development of a personal relationship with Jesus. This is his love letter. He wrote it. He preserved it so that one day you could have a copy in your hands. And if we fail to embrace that, if we rely on Sunday morning, it's like going to work on Monday and realizing you got to put those stinky old gym clothes on because you didn't do any of the work yourself. Now, don't get me wrong, Sunday's important, and it will help you, but it's designed as a supplement to what you're already doing during the week. This is not rocket science. This is not a complicated venture we're talking about. We're just talking about positioning our lives in a way because he positioned his life on the cross. And if we are going to be the type of church that has beliefs and character that reflect our beliefs, it will be because we're developing strong spiritual habits. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you made a decision for Christ or would like prayer with someone from our church family, we would love to connect with you. You can message us on... Facebook by searching Roseburg First Christian Church, or you can email us directly at roseburgfcc at gmail.com. In addition, if you're listening to this message on Apple or Spotify, we invite you to like, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and share it on social media so others can be blessed as well. God bless you and have a beautiful day.